Welcome back to another hour of Scotch Hour. I'm Noah. And I'm Jesse. All right, this is episode 126. This evening we have on the docket the Ask Egg 110 proof. Uh, then we got our shout outs and get it together. It's followed up by our Smarter Challenge, our uh, restaurant review being Juicy Seafood. And then our Smarter Challenge uh, was to watch the uh, Belgian Grand Prix. With you. All right, well, <laughs> we chose a pretty simple scotch here, the Azkeg Isla Single Malt 110 Proof Scotch. Uh, and why I say pretty simple is there's not a whole lot of history behind Port Azkeg Distillery. Uh, it's a relatively new distillery. It's located somewhere in Isla or on the island, but we don't know where. It's actually an undisclosed location. Uh, what we do know is that it is not in Port Azkeg. Um, Port Azkeg itself is on the northeastern coast of Isla in Scotland there. It's again known for making particularly peated expressions that showcase the distinctive Isla style. Um, established in 2009 by Specialty Drinks Limited. It's an independent whiskey bottler and retailer. The company wanted to create a range of Isla scotches and or whiskeys that would capture the essence and character of the island. Thus, Port Azkeg brand was born. Uh, again, man, it is nowhere to be known. However, uh, some people do believe because of the expression, the bottle, many different things, that uh, Port Azkeg is part of the Koala uh, Scotch brand and that they may be the distillers that are partnered with this particular brand. Uh, known for maritime and smoky characteristics, which are typical for Isla whiskeys, often exhibit balance with peat, a brine, which could be exciting, some seaweed, and fruity notes. This Port Askeg is the 110. The range itself includes various age statements and limited editions. However, they can't be that old because remember again this uh, distillery was founded just 14 years ago. Since its establishment, Port Askeg has gained a reputation for producing high-quality Isla whiskeys that showcase everything we know about Isla. Peat, smoke, brine, and delicious. The brand has garnered a dedicated following among whiskey enthusiasts and received critical acclaim for its expressions. While the distillery itself does not have a long historical background, its whiskeys pay homage to the rich whiskey heritage of Isla. Uh, and it is interesting um, and could be fun to drink. It does look like it could be a fun uh, expression to try. Uh, being that it's uh, fairly new, I think someone, like, I'm not sure it was you or somewhere I read, but they think that this might actually be like a six-year-old type of scotch. Uh, so, I, yeah, I think it would be kind of fun to see like what uh, what they're uh, trying to do here with the same old scotch. 
And while I'm thinking about it, uh, thanks for uh, jumping in right away and, and jumping in with the scotch, but I had a scratch my throat, so I just want to just say thank you to all of you who watch us. We greatly appreciate it. All of our new subscribers on YouTube and Rumble, thanks for being patient with me. I've fallen behind a few weeks, so once again, thank you on that. And uh, please like, share, and subscribe our, our, to our channel. And uh, I can't wait to try this new expression out. It's going to be interesting. Again, uh, typically when we talk about Isla, we've got Scotland. And if you're looking at Scotland forward on the west side of Scotland, we've got Isla. And now we've got Isla, one of the islands, uh, one of the more southern islands along the coast there, Jura, just above it. Um, we've got the northeastern side of that island, which is very almost opposite of a lot of what is a location for Lafroig, uh, Lagavulin, um, and Ardbeg. So it's going to be an interesting expression for sure. Yeah, at 55 proof, man. 110 proof, 55%. Yeah, 55 proof, 110%. Uh, might, we might feel it. What's the highest one that we've done so far? Uh, I think we had a 65. And that kind of went smooth, if I remember. Dude, it was so smooth. It was one of the special releases from Diageo. <laughs> all right, all right. So I guess... Uh, Without further ado, we'll look into this. This was a special presentation of the ASKEG. Uh, single malt scotch so this one did come with a box two glasses with their initial a um, the normal box is pretty basic though it looks just like any other standard one but at least it does come with a box and it is not boxless the bottle itself uh, they're taking some pride in 2018 they did win the gold medal for spirits in san francisco again uh, pretty basic standard bottle looks very much like a lagavulin or even an ardbeg bottle to me yeah it does um i'd say probably more lagavulin than ardbeg yeah with that typical typical bubble uh we've had a cool isle of scotch i just can't remember which one we had uh the foil here is very interesting uh, it does say uh, west 6610, north 55, 5041, some coordinates. I'm guessing that that is for Port Azkeg and not for where the distillery is actually located or someone would have figured that out by now. <laughs> you would hope, but how many people actually look at the foil? Figure that out. Who knows? I don't know. Uh, it, is, it does have the... Uh, pressed letter a in the top and a solid wood topper so we're starting out well there is that wood topper just all black all black and mm, solid wood uh, solid cork as well to fill the void <laughs> It doesn't smell like strong alcohol, but man, that may change after a moment. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's just rolling to the back of your head. <laughs> I, I got a little bit of heat, alcohol heat there. All right, 55% ABV. 
Here we come. This is uh, Formula One style. All right. <laughs> Cheers and on to uh, Cheers. ERS zones. <laughs> nice. SK 110 proof. Uh, you know, this is a, a little bit of a surprise. Uh, I was I wasn't quite sure what to expect. I do like the uh, the presentation and how it comes in this gift box here. Um, so I'll just start with that to begin with. The presentation <laughs> comes in a nice uh, box that opens up like a you know uh, from the side to like a book, and it has these uh, two nice. Uh, uh, glasses in there to go with it. Uh, I think it has like a mag magnetic closure. So mm -hmm. honestly, uh, this is what I'm kind of talking about with a little bit more of a, uh, you know, something, something with your presentation, even though it's not like something super special when it comes to like gift boxes. Uh, we didn't see like around Christmas time when you normally see gift boxes. So, uh, here, I actually gave it five out of five points for a presentation, yeah. just because it's something that you don't normally see, and it you know it has a little something extra to go with it. And I like how the A is stenciled in on the glasses, and so I gave it a five out of five. Uh, the color here I put is light citrus, similar to Sauvignon Blanc, and it's like the uh, a light grassy citrus color that you would get. <coughs> and. Um, I wasn't like overly impressed with the color, but I wasn't disappointed by the color. And so I just gave it my standard four out of five. Uh, so, Cause it didn't look like there's any artificial coloring in there. No non-chill filter, no artificial colors. All right. Uh, now on to the big points. Uh, my total win is here is going to be the aroma. The aroma was my win on this particular scotch here. I got, Smoke with brine. Uh, lots. Oh, actually, sorry. I started reading my wrong thing here. Actually, this is what I got on my on my on my aroma. I started to read my palate. Uh, actually, my my the aroma. Uh, what I smelled here was honey sweetness with vanilla, smoky peat with hints of uh, of citrus and charcoal. And I really dug it. I thought it smelled great. It has nice complexities. The thing is, like, what I smell versus what I got to my palate did not really translate for me. Uh, but on the aroma, like I said, that was my total win. So I gave it 27 out of 30 points, which I was pretty pleased with. Now, on my palate, I put smoke. Lots of smoke. And here, it makes me wonder if they might have used maybe some liquid smoke here or something. Um, but I also got some brine. With sweet vanilla and citrus. So, like, my palate, it didn't seem like it was, like, too uh, complex as compared to the aroma. And that smoky, that smokiness almost kind of, it started off like a smoky cream, if you will. So, it's like a smoky cream uh, with a little, with some brine in there. And that smokiness almost kind of overpowered the, the the uh, the brine taste, mm -hmm. uh, in my opinion, uh, but as the uh, as it passes that first part of your palate going into the mid palate, that's where I start picking up that sweet vanilla and citrus, and I think that's also where the brine kind of like shines a little bit more than on that mm -hmm. on the than on the initial hit of the palate. 
Now the uh, the finish. Oh, I should probably give you my points for the palette. That was uh, twenty five out of thirty. Now, as far as the finish, it, it goes here. I put heat. Uh, I'm not exactly. It's not like spicy heat. Is like, like what I you know what we experienced where they put like chili powder in it or anything like that. I think part of it was uh, uh, a little bit from the uh, from the alcohol, <laughs> but more so, I think the heat is coming from something like uh, cinnamon. And you know, I get some cinnamon with. Uh, some t like like a toasted biscuit maybe, uh, and uh, but really that smokiness is kind of overpowering a lot of it, along with that uh, cinnamon spice or whatever that heat is. So I wasn't really pleased with the finish, and I gave that twenty four points. So that was my big loser, I guess, if you will. Uh, it gives me a total of eighty five points. All right. Uh, now, would I take it to a black tie affair? No, I would not. Uh, just simply because if I'm going to go take it to a black tie affair, I, I want I want something like to like stand out and kind of really like say this is me type of thing, and I don't want to like have to say this is me. <laughs> I don't blame you. I love the uh, solid wood topper. I love the presentation in most ways, but I agree with you. Uh, when I take it to a game night, yeah, I think it's fun to take to a game night, you know, especially if people are smoking cigars and stuff like that. I don't think the smoke would, uh, I don't think this one would be overpowered by cigar smoke or anything like that just because of how smoky it is. And it might actually complement it in a way, just like <laughs> if you like smoke on top of smoke on top of smoke. Um, when, uh, you know, smoke, you, smoke, I mean, you're probably looking for something to more like refresh your palate from that, but uh, I don't think it would be uh, all that bad on a game night. But I have it on my shelf. This is a little bit hard here. I'm not sure if this is one I would want to put on my shelf. It's not that the bottle is bad or anything like that. It has nice labeling. The bottle looks nice. The presentation is great. Um, but I think for the same price point, there's like other bottles I'd rather use. However, one, one use case I might use it for would be something like uh, making a uh, chili con carne because you get like that nice barley flavor <laughs> with point. with some uh, with some of that smokiness from this particular bottle. And I think it would add actually a nice flavor to uh, a, 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 you know something that you want to get like that smoky barley flavor in uh, for cooking. Not saying that this is, should be a cooking scotch. It really isn't. It's much better than a cooking scotch. <laughs> but I've also, you know, from like when I used to sell wine, I used to tell people who asked for wine recommendations and stuff, is that never cook with something that you wouldn't drink. And it's not. The, and I would drink this. Uh, I think it has a place, but. You know, this would be something I wouldn't mind like cooking with and drinking at the same time, uh, because I wouldn't mind using it in my cooking. Whereas, like if you're talking about Lagavulin 16 or the uh, Oban 18, these are like ones that I really love and cherish. I would definitely drink those, but I don't think I would ever cook with those because I would rather savor those drinking rather than in my food. What if? But you what didn't if cook with them and it was that fucking good. I mean it, <laughs> it could be that fucking good, but but uh, yeah that's how that's, that's how I think I think would I recommend for a person to try this yeah I think they should try it um 
but only if you like something smoky and you kind of like Isla. Um, but you have to kind of like that heavy peat smoke and you, and probably like just a little bit of a, uh, of a spicy finish. Yeah. I agree with you. This is an interesting scotch port as keg and 110 proof. I was worried with the 110 proof that it would be a little bit more alcohol rich. It's really pretty smooth. All things considered. For me, I'm right there with your presentation. This particular presentation of five. For me, I have no problems with the color. I love uh, this light, sexy platinum blonde. Uh, another five there for me on the nose. I'm also right there with you. This was the win for me. The nose. Nose, if you will. The nose. N-O-S-E nose. K-N-O-W-S. <laughs> Uh, Pete, band-aid me, Pete. Like, this is the kind of thing we're like, I want the band-aid. Like, you could walk into a house, you've been drinking this, and they're like, how'd you get hurt? No, I'm fine. It's just a little scotch. Uh, with that, and we talked about this, the, the wood scent that's coming through. It's this, uh, hard to differentiate between cedar and red oak. Um, and I think what makes that hard is it's burnt either way. It's charcoal, fragrant uh, wood that is immediately followed by the brine, the salt water. Oh, yes. And a little bit of citrus, uh, the peat, the alcohol is there. But the other thing that's interesting about the nose on this scotch is that it smells, and this is one of those things where it's not a scent, but it smells creamy. Uh, it smells smooth and like it's going to go down easy for me. The nose was a 26, so one lower than you. The palate mm. starts out so smooth, creamy, followed immediately by peat. Then the cinnamon kicks in for me. That's that spice, a little bit of smoke, barley, and then it transitions to a flavor of white bread toast, like just out of the toaster. And that's more of that smoke in burnt wood uh, shining through the power for me. A 25, the finish. This was where this scotch, interestingly enough, was lacking for me. It's where typically an Obin or a Lagavulin would excel is this great finish that has me craving more, even though I don't want to lose the finish. Uh, the finish starts with that cinnamon spice and then uh, it goes to a woody caramel apple pineapple brine and it's an interesting finish because the the flavors almost contradict one another it shouldn't make sense because it feels like what i think is really in there is charcoal is robbing them all from the best parts of those flavors so there's hints of all those flavors but they're being taken away um, and you don't get the full effect the finish for me at 24 
85 total for me as well and i i think that this scotch sits solidly there would i much like yourself take this to a black tie affair this one i believe we paid 65 for uh, is right around that range not terribly priced uh for 65 dollars this is a non-age statement. I'd take a Lagavulin 8. Now I'm not even talking the 16. I'd take a Lagavulin 8 or an Oban Little Bay over this any day because they are much more distinct. And the one thing I don't like about this is tell me where your goddamn scotch is from. Like, don't keep that a secret. That's what is great about bringing something to a, an establishment is I know exactly where this is from, and that matters. It's it's, it's not that you can't have a winning horse uh, win the Triple Crown, uh, including the Kentucky Derby that has no heritage and no bloodline, but guess what? I want a bloodline. Like, that makes it better for me. So, Black tie, no. Game night, also no for me. Um, only because the finish. The finish was low enough that this scotch left me wanting comp compared to the beginning. And, man, I'm not a smoker. This, this scotch makes me think I need a cigarette when I'm done drinking it. <laughs> it's interesting because that's the charcoal-y smoke flavor i get at the end uh so not for a game knife and because of that just those two neither one of them it i don't know where it's from it's fun to have the bottle i'm not going out of my way to put a spot for this on my shelf because i want to know just like last week uh Rasse came from its own little island, Grasse. So with that, not knowing where this comes from is another piece of, I don't need it on my shelf. It doesn't matter how good it is or isn't. It is that it is a question mark that I don't need. It's time for our shout outs. Oh man, my one shout out, and we'll get more to this to the race goes to Max for stopping for the Belgian Grand Prix weekend and Honda engines. Man, again, we'll get to the race in a moment, but the engine lasted. They had to change the transmission, but the engine's still good. Honda is kicking ass with this engine. It's tragic um, that they've got an end to their current contracts in Formula One, although there is that rumor that with the renewable fuel, uh, they will be coming back, but not to Red Bull. And I think that will be interesting even for someone like Max Verstappen who has to consider, what do I believe in, what do I not? Wow. All right. Uh, my shout out. Uh, I'm going to give a shout out to the University of Colorado Boulder football team, or I should say the AD and uh, the president and all them, the board of regents. They uh, unanimously voted to change conferences to move from <laughs> to move from the Pac-12 over uh, and go back home, if you will, to the Big 12. Now, I know the crown jewel here for everybody that talks about college football or conferences is going to be the one of the two power two, which is it used to be the power five, but now it's gone to more of a power two structure with that being the Big Ten and, and the SEC. But the Big 12 is showing up uh, and showing out with how they got their TV deal first. And now everyone's kind of wondering what's going to happen with the 
uh, Pac-12. They're supposed to come out their their numbers tomorrow. Um, but uh, it seems like right now it appears that Colorado made made the wise move in being the first to jump. The juicy seafood on Parker Road right off of Yale uh, went here as honestly kind of a joke. My uh, my comment to Noah was let's roll the dice and take a risk and go to the juicy seafood and see what can happen. And uh, it was a surprise. It really was. It, I mean, <laughs> on it, like when you drive over there, though, you, it looks like a shithole. <laughs> I'll say this: like I left Colorado in two thousand <laughs> at the end of two thousand and seven, came back to Colorado in twenty twenty, and I haven't really been in this area <laughs> in Aurora for you know probably for a good long time. So even since I got back, this is maybe possibly the second time I've been in this area, and it doesn't look very good. Yeah, not like it used to. I mean, it used to look like a decent area, but now it looks like it's kind of run down and stuff like that. But it also looks like it's probably almost like a little Asian place. Like uh, I, I don't even know what what to really call it because I'm not really sure. Because like there's like Japanese restaurants, Cantonese, there, there's, Chinese, yeah. There, so Korean. I'm just calling it Little Asia over there. Um, and uh, but when you walk into the place. It doesn't look too bad. It had, I mean, juicy seafood. I'm not really sure the name really does it justice until you get to the food. But before you get to the food <laughs> and you walk into the place, it does have like a seafood flair to it or like a boat type of flair or a dock. Like you're going to the docks. Uh, so that was kind of nice. Cool. Uh, a little bit of nice decor there. Uh, it's not what I would typically say is like a great decor for like that, you know, when I go to a restaurant, but I think in this case it fit the theme and it was well done. Uh, the wait staff was great. They're very prompt, very friendly, very helpful. Uh, if you like beautiful Chinese or Asian women or Japanese women or whatever, uh, this might be a place for you to see, well, you know, to go to have like nice looking Asian wait staff there or beautiful Chinese or, or Asian men. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but in any case, they were very, like I said, they were very pleasant, very nice, very helpful. Uh, now the food, uh, the food was great. God damn. <laughs> so, uh, it, the food actually, the way they designed the food kind of reminds me of like a little bit of Joe's Crab Shack. And when you get like their, I think they call them the pots over there, uh, over at, ja at, at Joe's Crab Shack. But here it's kind of something they come in like in these, uh, it's like a, I think they call them what, boils? Yeah, boil. So I think I got boil number five. Yes. And that had a lobster tail, uh, king crab legs, shrimp, corn and cob, uh, small little red potatoes, and I think that is it. Uh, but it was, I mean, and then you got to choose like what kind of, what kind of juice or whatever you want for your for your boil and i went with the juicy mix it's, uh, it's called the juicy special or yeah, juicy mix or something yeah, like that yeah. and it was phenomenal it tasted <laughs> great um 
The total win, though, I think, on this mill was definitely the shrimp. You do have to peel the skins on it, which that was kind of a bummer for me. But we actually get done peeling the, the shrimp, and you put it in that sauce. Oh, my God. That was, like, totally total dynamite. The second win there, oddly as it may seem, is the corner <laughs> of the cob. The corner of the cob sucked up, sucked up the <laughs> butter and the sauce and the spices, and when you bit into it, and I usually don't eat corner of the cob because I don't like it getting stuck in my teeth or anything like that, but it tasted phenomenal. Uh, the, uh, the lobster tail was good. Uh, the crab legs were good. The only thing I didn't like about the lobster legs was that, you know, like they didn't give you like the lobster fork where it has like that little tiny like fin lobster fork so you could dig the meat out of the legs. Uh, and we, and they, they only gave us the plastic fork. So I think that was the one downfall there. Otherwise, I thought the meal was totally great. Um, the food itself, uh, I'm going to give it a nine. I really, I'm really tempted to give it a 10 because I really think it could be a 10 because it tastes really great, but I'm going to give it a 9. Uh, the decor, I'm going to give that an 8. Uh, I Although I like the whole dock scene or whatever in there, but I think it could have been classier. The wait staff, I'm giving that a 10. She was super friendly on time, didn't bug us very often. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to give that a 10. And I think overall, though, uh, overall is a nine. Would I take a date there? Actually, I would. Would I meet a friend there? Yes, definitely, I would. <laughs> um, this place is actually great. Is it a destination spot? This is a great question because... <laughs> I literally have a question mark there. I'm still trying to figure it out. Here's the thing. If I want seafood, am I going to go there for seafood? And, that, and the question is, I'm not sure because it depends on what kind of seafood I want. Uh, if it's just like crab legs or lobster tail, probably not that. Now, if I want like a uh, like a pot from like uh, Joe's Crab Shack or something you might get maybe from Red Lobster or uh, or something like that, yes, I go here over those two places. So I think this is a a questionable destination spot because I do think it has its place to, to be a destination. Plus right where we live, uh, there isn't any places really truly like this one. So if I'm craving this, uh, one of these boils again, or wanting to get like maybe their alligator fry dish or whatever, their fried alligator dish, I, pr I would go out my way to drive here. And it's not really that far away from us. So, I'm on the uh, if if you're within a certain mile radius, I say it's a destination point. But if you're outside of like maybe like a like a 15 mile radius, I'm gonna say it's not uh, a destination point. So I, that's kind of like where I'm at there. But overall, a total nine. All right. Oh, well, one last thing though, the uh, happy hour oh. total freaking still. <laughs> It's $1.99 for any draft beer. And that includes things like Guinness, where a lot of times uh, places won't put Guinness on a happy hour. So if you want to drink like pints of Guinness for $2, this place is a freaking bomb. Uh, mic drop. Mic drop. All right. The Juicy Seafood Parker Road right off of Yale. Uh, for me, I also went with the... Juicy combo number five, one lobster tail, half a pound of snow crab, uh, half a pound of shrimp, no head, 
Don't mind head. Oh, snow crab. I, I said king crab, so yeah, I was wrong. It's close enough. One corn, and they said two potatoes. I got like five potatoes in there. It's cool because the potatoes were delicious. <laughs> it was all great, though. Uh, what I would ultimately say is it was fantastic. Got in. Great service. I agree with Noah. The happy hour, the $1.99 draft beers. I was just experimenting with a couple of them because I'm like, dude, $1.99. If I don't finish this, nobody cares. <laughs> Uh, so that was fantastic. The juicy combo number five, which is the most expensive combos of the pre laid out combos, uh, $36. Well worth it to me. Uh, again, the lobster tail was very good. Uh, the crab, the flavor was great. The shrimp, they were fantastic. They were actually the win along with the corn. I love the red potatoes, too. Overall, would I take a date there? Yes. Would I meet a friend there? Yes. Uh, destination, man. The question mark is only because I've only had one great experience. Ultimately, for me, I am eager to go back. So currently, yes, the Juicy Seafood is a destination because I want to go back. I want to try the alligator. I want to try a fried dish. I want to see what it's like just to get a boil with shrimp. Is it still as good? Like, I literally want to go back. I, I want to create so my own boil. Good, right? That's what I'm talking about. And you can get king crab. Yeah, gonna pay a little bit more, but it probably was. I think it. the shrimp. I think you're doing like a boil to shrimp and the uh, possibly the uh, sausage, which a lot of people say is good Oof. there. I think that'd be killer. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt your no, analysis. No, I, I think you're 100 right. I, for me, currently, it is a destination because I want to go back. I want, like I literally thought this place was a joke for years. I've driven by it. I'm like the juicy seafood. W T F. Yeah. Who's gonna run home with this? in Terry, that guy. <laughs> uh, it was fantastic. No inverse reactions. It was literally a great experience. I was not expecting. Um, the uh, one thing I agree with you is I, it's fun inside. But I think they could have done a few little things to tweak the atmosphere, make it a little bit different. But at the same time, if I'm in the middle of the summer. And I'm on a day off and I'm just chilling in some flip flops and I want to feel like I'm out on a dock. That's the experience in there. It kind of works. I think you made it, I think you made a good point there. If I'm like, if it's summertime, flip flops, uh, an Aloha shirt or something like that. I think you know, what they should be playing is something like Jimmy Buffett. Or yeah, something. they need a little bit of music. Like they, they nailed so much. <laughs> I agree. Um, or some like reggae or hell yeah you know some like some caribbean type of music yeah something on a beach uh fantastic though so for me overall i had zero problems with the food the way anything along there for me um i did have the fried cheesecake dessert i think i was too full it was good i didn't need it uh, was the thing, but there were no regrets. So food for me was a 10. The lobster, the shrimp, the crab, the potatoes, the corn. Oh my God, the corn. Uh, a, a 10, the atmosphere. That was the only thing where I think they could have probably tweaked it a little bit more because if they did do one of those things with a little bit of music or something, it probably would set the mood just a little bit different where I'm like, yeah, I feel like I should be in here with my Tama Bahama shirt and my flip-flops. Um, I still felt great. I still want to go back in flip-flops in the Tommy Bahama shirt and see if it's still that good when i have a true day off and i'm just like 
Hell yeah. Give me another $1.99 draft. <laughs> Great draft. Uh, service, a 10. Agree, 100%. Um, our servers were patient. They were diligent, timely. Ah. Uh, Fantastic a 10. Overall, between the different scores, rounding to the nearest one, this is a 10. Like I really think, again, a future experience could change all of this. This could have just been the great experience. But for me, I thought this place was going to be a joke. It was such a pleasant surprise. I literally can't wait to go back. I agree. <laughs> I can't wait to go back and try it again either, especially during happy hour. The Smarter Challenge this week was to review a race of the 2023 F1 Belgian Grand Prix at Spa Frankenchamps. Uh, and again, man, I probably totally butchered that pronunciation, but it is a favored race of mine, largely because some of the greatest drivers ever going through some of those straights and turns and curves have mastered this and shown true skill. Uh, one of only many is Michael Schumacher, still my favorite driver of all time. And uh, it is a great race to enjoy. A couple things I want to look at as we talk about it. We're looking at the whole weekend. So this is one of the sprint weekends. So there is the regular practice on Friday, but there's also qualifying on Friday. And why qualifying is on Friday is because Saturday is about the sprint. So you have a shootout for your position in the sprint on Saturday, and then you start your race on Sunday. So the Grand Prix is still on Sunday. A couple other things we'll talk about a little bit. Uh, our drivers, the ones we like, or teams, and why. And then any remarkable moments during this weekend, and what does that do positively or negatively for enjoying the sport and uh, the weekend? We'll talk about a few brief history points and then roll on well uh i i can't remember exactly the year that this uh, racetrack was uh, actually built by i know it was like 1920 and i must say 1923 or, or approximately really close to that uh although that was in an unofficial uh format uh and then um uh, it got uh, updated again a little bit later their first actual grand prix for f1 uh happened in 1950 yes that was the inaugural season for f1 yeah okay and then i think and it, it was a team from alfa romeo that won it <laughs> came in first and second uh mario i want to say is it mario i don't remember who the what the name of the guy was i think it was an italian guy though uh in any case uh the race itself is uh, 191 miles uh, long, approximately. Um, and Valerie Botas, Botas, Botas. Yeah, he actually owns the uh, fastest uh, lap record there, of one minute 46 seconds. One minute 46.28 seconds. Um, and then the uh, I guess really like the. Uh, this particular race in Belgium has like one of the more famous chicanes. Uh, this is where they have like uh, where it goes from a curve to curve. Uh, I think it goes left, right, and then up uh, up a hill. 
And I, I want to say they call it the uh, Eau Rouge. Eau Rouge. Uh, and uh, and they, they also say that's probably like the best place to sit is just like just outside of the Eau Rouge, so right to that, as they're going up, so that way you can overlook uh, the the that chicane and the valley there. So and this is in the Ardennes Forest, Arden Arden Forest. So mm-hmm. that's uh, some of the uh, points there. Um, was there? Uh, did you actually ask me a question before I went into that history? No, I, I mean that's just it. It's an interesting trek with a ton of history. I was trying to find who it was that won that first. I think was it Alberto Ascari? Does that sound right? I don't know. I had it up, and then I hit something on my phone and I lost it. Which sucks. it's not Alberto Ascari. It doesn't say, but Alberto Ascari won in 1952 and 1953. Um, but I'm not finding who won the inaugural uh, F1 race. But uh, it is El Rouge that turn. It is great, and we saw exactly why during this race, the actual Grand Prix, when there was a mix of a little sprinkling of moisture rain and a dry track, and the ultimate, spoiler alert, race winner, Max Verstappen had a scary moment going around a corner, and you saw his whole car snap. (laughs) Yeah, as far as like the actual race itself, I think that was probably um, well. I guess like if you can pinpoint one part of it, that is a uh, that was actually a pretty uh, uh, amazing thing because uh, in in the history here, this they say like a, this is one of the racer like the racers or the drivers. It's one of their favorite tracks because it like it could be super sunny on one side and the, and the and the track being like super dry. But because of where it's at in Belgium, it also rains a lot. So you might have one part of the track where it's wet and another part where it's dry. And so they have to go through uh, different types of like uh, conditions in order to uh, traverse through this mm-hmm. race. And I think this is really prevalent here because like all weekend long, uh, it was raining. So they had to basically like uh, do all the qualifying, the sprints and all that stuff all through like you, about like having a wet track. And then on Sunday, the actual Grand Prix day is actually sunny and dry. So, so for the most part, it, they had to like they had to drive the course in a way that they weren't prepared for this week. However, there was a short like ten minutes area where it did rain. That's where you know that uh, that snapping of uh, Verstappen's vehicle happened was during that rain that rain time frame. Uh, it is one of the longer race tracks because it literally did go through a forest at times. It has been shortened over history, uh, but it is one of the longer race tracks on the Formula One circuit, which does reduce its uh, track laps down to 44 many of the tracks are right around the 65 mark uh, and this one being so long is fantastic there are straights there are curves of all sorts and types and some of them just like with turn one typically in any f1 race will catch people uh out and cause some damage to teams and drivers with that you know, when we talk about Formula One in general, this race being part of it or not, do you have a favorite team or driver? Oh, uh, yeah. I, I My favorite team, and, <laughs> and this is probably going it, to, it's going to, I guess, 
I don't know. I, I almost sometimes in a way, like you know how like I don't know if you you realize this or not, but like when you, there's like women who don't understand football, right? <laughs> and uh, you know, and a guy's trying to teach them about football, and all of a sudden, like their favorite team becomes like this team because of the colors or something stupid like that, or or because that team was doing well when I they first started watching. Pink. Yeah, whatever that goofy reason is. So here I kind of feel like maybe like one of those type of people, just simply because when I first started getting into <laughs> F1, which is really because of you when we started doing a, a Scotch Hour, you always kept bringing up F1 racing, F1 racing, and I never watched F1 racing. <laughs> and I guess during that whole time frame, uh, Verstappen was like, he's been dominant. <laughs> Uh, and uh, so the Red Bull team, and I don't even know how this even happened either, but for some way, somehow, I get updates every week from the Red Bull team in my email. I don't even remember signing up for anything like that. But They're like, we know. <laughs> but in any case, so I guess by default, uh, Red Bull is my favorite team as a, you know, from like, what you've done and then actually playing on the uh, on the computer, uh, the EA Sports F1 video game, which, by the way, is pretty kick-ass. Uh, and, uh, you, you know, like, I've actually learned a lot about, like, how you build cars, like, as far as, like, you know, like, what they have to do to, like, maintain cars and uh, and the aerodynamics and adjusting the, uh, the, the fins and all that before the races and stuff like that and how to adapt it for the weather. So... Uh, there's a lot of intricacies and uh, things that go along with, uh, and technology is like phenomenal that goes into these vehicles. Uh, but yeah, Verstappen would be my favorite driver. Uh, favorite team, I guess, would be Red Bull. Uh, but uh, Alfonso? Alonso. Uh, Alonso. Uh, Fernando Alonso. Yeah. Fernando uh, Alonso. Austin Martin. Yeah, Austin Martin. He. Uh, He's been uh, quite a surprise this year. Like, obviously, I don't know his history or anything like that. But seeing him uh, race this year has been – I'm actually definitely rooting for him. Uh, he he may be, like, probably, like, my second favorite driver currently just because I want to see him win because he's, like – he's, like, you know, uh, I guess, if you will, in the twilight years of F1 racing. And to see him uh, go from uh, – I forget what team he was with last year, but he wasn't with uh, – He's got a history with Ferrari. <laughs> <laughs> he might have a history with Ferrari, but I don't know that history. <laughs> and I don't know where he was last year because I don't remember, but he wasn't uh, in, uh, in, in the Austin Martin team. But, you know, I love Austin Martins, and so if I had a second favorite team, that would probably be my second favorite team. But they don't actually build their whole vehicle, but, you know, whatever. Uh, that's that's one thing I really like about Ferrari is that they actually do they like they do the whole thing as opposed to, like I even know Red Bull doesn't do their whole thing either so I mean Al Alonso was with Formula One for a long time left went and won a shit ton of things for Le Mans and then came back to Formula <laughs> One so I actually think you know Alonso's actually like uh, probably my second favorite driver at the moment and it's just kind of cool to see them do well and stuff like that and really right now the only thing, like, when I think of Verstappen, I think of A Knight's Tale. Where, they're, like, uh, a guy, where the guy asks uh, the bad guy, he's like, how do you beat that man? And the other guy responds, on a horse with a stick? You don't. <laughs> right? And so to me, it's like, uh, you know, you ask about Verstappen, how do you beat that guy? In a Formula 1 racing car with Red Bull? You don't. I mean, that's just kind of like what comes to mind. And was he's like one of the very few who who won eight Grand Prix in a row. 
because uh, they're talking about yep. Schumacher and a couple others this weekend that have done eight in a row. Uh, so that's actually another great feat that uh, Verstappen has, has done. So as long as he keeps, I think if he this, wins one more, he like actually gains the total. Really, like the the champion, yeah, uh, because. There were only three drivers in history that won seven. Uh, I think two that have won eight. And I don't think anyone has ever won nine, nine in, a in a row, including Michael Schumacher in his magic year with his best car ever. So if, if Verstappen can uh, keep on this current trajectory, I think, uh, you know, honestly, the the world's his oyster at this moment. It is interesting. Uh, for myself, my favorite team is still... Ferrari, uh, largely because throughout time they are the longest running, have never left once they started Formula One racing team. Um, their longest stint that I'm aware of was from 1979. They won a championship with Jody Skechter and then did not win again, even though they acquired Michael Schumacher. In 96, did not win a championship again until 2000. So they went 21 years without a championship, but they never left the sport. They never gave up. And they, you know, we all have those things in life. It's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be great. But they are in it for the sport, for the long haul. Uh, I think that's something that Enzo Ferrari really embedded in them. And understands, and it's no different than any other car make, uh, long-term, what keeps it going or not. And one thing I would say is, like with Tesla, for example, a road-going car, man, if you don't get involved in some road racing before long, it doesn't matter if you've got the best car on the road. Other cars that have their electric cars in racing will dominate because there will always be the chevy corvette there will always be the dodge viper even if they're not making it that year there will be the dodge charger there will be the ford mustang there are always these mark cars that will stand out and are the dreams of boys and girls and the young and the old uh, and will become a reason to enjoy it for me currently verstappen is my my favorite driver too and i will tell you years ago before he won his championship i was like this guy is dangerous and i remember uh, marissa used to watch a lot of races with me and she always believed in verstappen she's like he's got the energy he just needs maturity and god damn it she was right <laughs> Like, I will admit that to anyone, honestly, because Verstappen has gotten the maturity. And I think this race, my prime example of this is it's brilliant because Verstappen is in there. It's literally the halfway mark of the season. 23 races this year for 2023. I have never known a season in Formula One that's been so heavy. Typically, uh, in uh, what I think was the V10 and V12 golden years, you had 12 races a year was like about the max. We have almost doubled that or have doubled that. And with that, we're seeing some amazing things. Uh, but wow. Um, in this race, Verstappen used the code, and I'm assuming this is code where he's like, hey, do you guys want to do the uh, practice for a pit stop? And it's right towards the end of the race. And what my belief is, is this is his way of saying, hey, 
I want the one extra point. I don't just want all of the points for the race win and the qualifying and X, Y, and Z. I want that one extra point for fastest lap. Now, this is a risk because the pit stop could get screwed up. Um, Extra turns, extra times, something could happen. You could end up not winning the race, losing much more than one point. And his engineer was like, nope, today's not the day to practice an extra pit stop. And Verstappen did not argue. At least it's not as I saw. I'm sure he wanted it. And any F1 driver wants that. On the flip side, you have Hamilton. Dude, Hamilton's season is all but over already, honestly. And Hamilton's like, okay, I want the fastest lap. Let's go in one, two laps before the end. Give me a fresh set of fast tires just so I can do that. And at the end, I'm sure Verstappen. I think that was a fuck you to Verstappen. I think what it really was. It really was. But you know what the mature thing is? Verstappen not trying to fight back and be like, fuck you. I got the race win. I got the quali. I got the sprint and that quali. The shootout, the sprint, the quali, and the race. You can have the fastest lap one point. I am killing you by, oh, I think, he, what is he winning? By like 150 points now over yeah. Hamilton? Something. It's ridiculous. Hamilton's season is done unless Verstappen dies. <laughs> no, I mean that. I know, like, I know, I know what you mean. <laughs> because it is possible. Drivers, they risk their lives. And to see that maturity right there, the fact that, because I'm telling you, five years ago, Verstappen would be like, no, this is a bad call, just like he was doing with other things. I think you made the wrong choice. And his engineer's like, you tell me what you want to do. I gave you the best lap that got you to Q3, so stop arguing with me. <laughs> <laughs> and the it's actually... Beautiful. It's a it's a mature relationship. What Verstappen has with his engineer, I love it. I hope that we don't lose that. I, I hope, man. If Verstappen can continue mature, not only will he eclipse Hamilton in every aspect of the race, even if he doesn't beat his race wins or his season championship or anything else, he just becomes a better person as a human. And I didn't see that five years ago. I literally was like, this kid is never going to grow up. This kid is just way immature. He's taking every risk unnecessary. And this race, I was like, God damn it. He, he has become the man that should win, not just that can win. So I think you're asking, like, what was my favorite point in this? Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Uh, Is there a favorite moment? So actually, I say, like, <laughs> maybe it's multiple moments. Yeah. I think my favorite thing about all of this, like, this whole race weekend is really listening to the conversation between Verstappen and his engineer. It's beautiful. It's just the way they go back and forth. You know, they must have a very good relationship because – the only way you can talk to someone like that and not be pissed off later on is to have a good relationship with with a person. And really, it just kind of really played out really well. And I'm not sure if they did it for entertainment reasons or not, but when he was asking about whether or not he's in second place right behind his teammate, uh, Pe- uh, Pedro, right? Pedro Perez. Perez, yeah. Is it, it's Pedro Perez, right? Or that's or, uh, Perez. Perez. To me. So, anyways, <laughs> he's like, right? He's, he's asking his engineer, Sergio hey, Perez. Sergio, Sergio. Yeah, that's right. It's Sergio. Perez. <laughs> Sorry, uh, Sergio Perez. He's asking, like, hey, is is uh, Perez uh, or is Sergio pulling in for a pit stop? And he's like, don't worry about that. And he's like, no, is he pulling in? He's like, 
I told you not to. He goes, but is he pulling in? He's like, listen to me, all right? <laughs> you raised your game. And so it was just funny how they had that back and forth banter. And that was a great moment. What it, I can't remember what the exact words were. It was like, but it was just like, you just need to listen. Yeah. <laughs> you just need to listen to me and do what I say, okay? <laughs> it's like a married couple that, that has lasted and endured two decades to the point, though, where they're still thriving. Yeah. I think so. Did one of the commentators say it was like a married couple? Uh, possibly. That might have been what brought it to my mind. But that's what I was thinking all along is like, man, I have always wanted that. Where I am so fired up and I shout out something stupid and they're like, hey, I don't care. Listen to me for 30 seconds, then let's go on. And sure enough, it didn't end immediately how we're stopping wanted. But because of all the choices that were made, it ended up being the 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 win. Yeah, and then there was another point, like after that, like right when the rain started and stuff like that. He's going around the tracks, and he, and the engineer's like, "Do you want to come in and change your tires?" And he's like, "I don't. I can't tell how much rain is coming down. It's your call." So it was kind of funny. Like he trusted point, him. Yeah. So at one at one point, he's like challenging him because he wants to know, like, you know, when someone else is. Am beating. I getting the first dish? Yeah. <laughs> And then the other, and the other one, he's like, "Why well, I can't? I'm not gonna. I'll trust your judgment on this." So it's kind of interesting, like how that relation plays out, and listening to those like comments on the radios and stuff like that. And the one like kind of like, oh crap moment that I like oh, yeah. I saw was like right when uh, in the second qualifier where uh, Versapen was number ten and it looked like he's been getting knocked. <laughs> Dude, out. I thought he was going to. <laughs> Uh, but then he just comes back like on fire and just like takes pull. Dominates by yeah. what? Like eight tenths of her second. Yeah. It was ridiculous. So <laughs> it's an entertaining, uh, it's definitely entertaining. I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed the whole weekend's uh, watch. And I think that's true. And I think what's interesting, what that did show is a, uh, Again, growth, maturity, and humility on Verstappen's point when he was just honest because this is team radio that's on the air. And Verstappen's like, I don't know. Like, I'll trust your call. He's like, I, I was challenging you before because I was insecure and I want to make sure I'm getting first call. Again, humility with his own engineer. You have to trust these people literally with your life because you make a bad call, you could die. Um, so you're literally trusting this person with your life. And he does that, and his engineer continues to make the right calls. It was literally beauty to me. It was something uh, I, I watched uh, the race with Aiden. And at the end, like I was laughing at certain points with those comments and things, other things going on. And I laugh at the ridiculous moments too. Like, let's be honest, there's a wreck. I laugh as long as it's not the driver I want to win. Um, the driver I want to win says or does something that's just unbelievably awesome, passes, things like that. I'm laughing and I'm loving and I'm excited. And my kids get so upset because I'm so loud. And how could you not in this race? So, like, we're stopping started in six. Started at six <laughs> and made it to first. I mean, and the two of the people who were ahead of him got knocked out. They basically Took knocked themselves out. out. Yeah. And I think, like, I, I don't know who was really at fault for that one. To me, it kind of looks like is signs, signs, signs. I think it was signs' fault maybe initially because he kind of cut like uh, corner. Yeah, he kind of cut the corner in uh, Pasali. Piazzi. Piazzi. 
Piazzi had like nowhere to go. Like the only place he could go is like into the wall. And Verstappen even made that comment at the end of the race when he was talking about the victory, and he's like, "Really, part of it was staying out of them getting in each other's way at Turn One, and that yeah. is reality. Is Turn One is marked as Formula One's. It's a stop. You are at a dead stop when you start these races. It's not a rolling start like nascar or indycar it is a true race um a drag race to that first turn and the tires aren't up to temp and there are things that uh normal racers in nascar or indy simply don't have to deal with that they do here along with you don't drive in torrential rain in any of these other motorsports only in formula one and they did this during the sprint um it was it, again it's great but to have that mindset and that's where you have to get to be a winner to be a champion in formula one is i gotta make it through turn one and then i gotta make it through turn through and then i gotta make it to the end of lap one and then i gotta win yeah and it's funny like it's great <laughs> that you mentioned that too because uh yes uh saturday after the uh sprint uh they asked him like so how, how like what's your plan to go into this race or how are you gonna win or get to first and he's like I just got to stay out of their way in turn one. That was like basically what he said. It's like, when it comes to turn one, I just got to make sure I stay out of everybody's way and I don't get hit or anything like that. And, and that's basically what he did. Uh, but to go back to the history real quick, oh, yeah. I did find it. The track was originally built in 1924. Okay. I said 23, so I was off by a year. Ah, close enough. And then the, uh, the inaugural winner was Juan Manuel Fangio. Fangio. Oh, yes. You have a picture of him signed in the uh, uh, office downstairs. Okay. <laughs> and then it was his uh, teammate who came in second, which is Nino Farina, F-A-R-I-N-A. He didn't end up doing much with Formula One, but Ma Juan Manuel Fangio did. Yeah. So those are, that's who, who was the first winner of this Belgian race. Uh, yes, some great racers for sure. That is awesome. And that's 1950. Holy smokes. That's awesome. Um, also, I think the, the Belgian race has, uh, I think it says it has a record for most spectators. I have no doubt because it is a phenomenal race. The track is huge in comparison. I think it's eight point, it's roughly eight miles long. Um, it is, you know, Formula One is the highest class of motorsport. People in America or other areas might be like, no, NASCAR is, no, it really isn't. Go drive a NASCAR car on a Formula One circuit. You are not hitting the 210 miles per hour and still making the corners like they did in F1 this weekend. Um, it is currently 10 teams. 20 drivers, two drivers per team, little basics with the racing, two teams per driver. In the past, they were allowed to bring a spare car. Now, if there's damage, if they wreck their car during a qualification, a sprint, a shootout, um, they have to rebuild it. They're not allowed to bring spare cars. In the past, they were to the point where if something happened literally on the first lap of the race, the race had not officially, and the, the first lap hadn't started, they would restart the race. You could bring out your spare car. They did away with that because only the top teams could afford that. The other bottom teams, so to speak, could not. So they did away with that, which to me was kind of tragic because I loved watching some of those races where drivers were a mile down the track, 
running, sprinting, I'm talking Usain Bolt style, back to the garage to get the spare car to restart the race and did it. It was beautiful. Um, but uh, 20 drivers, 10 teams, 20 cars because they're not allowed to have spares. Engine suppliers currently consist of Ferrari, Honda, Mercedes, and Renault. Tire suppliers currently only Pirelli. And in most years in Formula One history... I believe this is accurate. Most years, not all. Um, there's only been one tire supplier. So for almost like a decade now, it's been Pirelli. But before Pirelli, it was Bridgestone. Before Bridgestone, it was Bridgestone and Michelin. And these were some of my favorite years because Bridgestone and Michelin each had half of the teams roughly on the track and they actually had to compete tire-wise to supply cars and drivers with tires that would win races. Honestly, I think that would be better to have different tires instead of everyone having the same It tire. was super exciting. Exciting. And there were races where Michelin nailed it. I'm not a Michelin fan, although I will 100% admit they make phenomenal performance tires. I will not take anything away from them. I just prefer Bridgestone and Pirelli. Uh, and I've always preferred whoever the main supplier was in Formula One to be. Those are the tires I buy. Because those are the tires I trust because, God damn it, they're testing to the ultimate limit. Yeah, I think it would be, uh, actually, I think that would add, like, a, a nice, fun, like, uh, variance uh, between the cars if they actually had all three of those tire makers in. Well, it's just so expensive. And, and I'm talking about, like... Estimates have been it cost the tire suppliers, and this was back in like 2007, cost the tire suppliers millions, like a million dollar per team each race weekend. Back then, there were only like 13, 14 races. A million dollars per team per race weekend to supply six teams with tires, $6 million. To me... That's tough, but if you're into motorsports like Ferrari has always been, you're doing it because you want to be part of that. Well, I'm sure, like that must be like super costly just for one <laughs> tire company to do all twenty teams. It is, but here's where the struggle is: they don't have to be; they're not competing with anyone. All they have to do at that point is make the safest tire possible for all teams. And back when it was Michelin versus. Uh, Bridgestone in the early 2000s, Michelin and Bridgestone were pushing the limits to the point where Michelin made tires deemed unsafe for the United States Grand Prix at Indianapolis and were no longer used because of qualifying tire blowouts, that all, one of which almost killed Ralph Schumacher. Like going 200 miles per hour and all of a sudden your tire just fails. Not good. Um, but here, modern numbers, I think, just like with modern news, it gets cloudy. It, you know, 15 years ago, I think numbers were much more realistic and no one's contested them for 15 years. So let's say, hey, just consider inflation what Formula One's really costing teams now. In 2007, AF1 Racing, their publication, announced that uh, the F1 teams had spent hundreds of millions of dollars each, my, barring the few lower-end teams. Back then, Toyota 
was racing in F1, trying to get an F1 championship, never did, couldn't beat Ferrari in particular, let alone other Are teams. Are you talking almost like $500 million per team minimum? 2007, Toyota spent, that they can acknowledge, so it's more than that, $418 million not winning a championship. Ferrari spent $406.5 million not winning a championship. McLaren spent $402 million. Uh, Honda spent $380 so we're over million. over the billions now at this point. Oh, yeah. It's billions of dollars. This was in per 2007. Team. Yeah. Well, they say it's limited. Anyhow, Red Bull in 2007 spent... A little more than half of what Toyota did at $252 million. Um, and then the bottom team, which was Super Aguirre, spent $57 million. That's the lowest end team that like got no points. <laughs> $57 million. But at the end of the day, the point being, man, this is what it costs to run one of these teams and to get things done. It's amazing. That it is. I mean, I know it's a ton of money because I remember like playing it on the video game. You had to buy things, do research, all that stuff, and like it's just ridiculous how much money goes like that just in the video game. And I'm sure the video games numbers can't be too far off from the from reality. And I remember like, uh, like getting close to like a billion dollars in the video <laughs> game just to like just to make my just to make my car like competitive. Uh, with the other cars on there. For sure. All right, as we start to wrap this up, before we get ready for uh, the finale here, do you have a favorite racetrack, and if so, why? I, I, uh, actually, well, from watching, I don't have a favorite racetrack. Okay. From playing the video game, which actually you kind of see all the different <laughs> tracks. Live them. <laughs> uh, and I don't even know the name of the track. It's the one where you kind of do a quick turn. It's like a castle or something like right here. It's like a... A, a Rajabon. Is that, is that what it is? A Rajabon? Because you kind of come and you like turn. And, and there's, there's like a big a building. castle. A big, like a castle or a big building right here. And then you like, So you turn left and then you got to turn right again. And then you go uh, sweeping down. That's like one of my favorite ones. That is an amazing. I think it's a. I think it begins with the letter A, right? A Rajaban or something. I, I don't think I pronounced it right, but Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan. Yes. Azerbaijan. That, I, I would say that's probably like one of my favorite to race on the video game. Um, for me, and I don't know why this is. My favorite circuit that I've like watched and experienced visually is still the Monza Grand Prix. I don't know why I love the straights. Um, I really loved the F1 Grand Prix in Indianapolis, not part of the circuit. Let's switch gears really quickly. If there was one race you could have or could go to because the season's only half over this year, which one would it be? Uh, that's pretty tough. <laughs> because... I really do like Vegas, and Vegas is so close. But, <laughs> but you're not traveling out of the United States to view uh, to view um, uh, F1. Does it start with an M? <laughs> uh, no, I hate that track. 
It's not about hating it. It's about being at the race. The race where Kimi Raikkonen crashed out of it and then walked to his yacht. <laughs> no, I don't like that. Like no, Monaco. Because, not a fan of Monaco. Gotcha. I'm not a fan of Monaco. Uh, because, like, although Monaco has, like, a lot of quick turns and it's, like, a, like a smaller track and stuff like that, I don't think it really gives, like, uh, some of the nice straightaways for uh, DR, uh, DRS zones and stuff. So that's that's really not that's not one of my favorites. Um, I, I forget. There's like another one. I want. I think it's in Austria that I like too. Where I think you kind of like you go up a, a big hill and, you, and it, it turns right. Yep, that's Austria. That one I like a lot too. I think that like if I had to go visit one, I think that'd be like the one I like to go see. Um, that's a pretty good race. I think for me though, I'm going to keep it simple. I I would love to go see Monaco this year though. If I could go see one race, it literally would be Las Vegas. The only, although I think it's going to, I honestly think it's going to flop. I think it's going to be a dud. I think it's going to have all sorts of problems because right now formula one is challenging all of the hotels who have charged, People who have rented rooms, $5,000 for two nights. Um, shitty rooms, $5,000, two nights. And they're like, hey, we're just going to put up banners and shit and block off all your views if you don't start paying the fees. And the hotels were like, we're going to make millions. And now they're like, so we're going to make hundreds of thousands, not millions. Uh, but I still think... Just, I think it'd be cool just to see him tra like traveling through Vegas. How about down the strip? Yeah, that's what would be cool. That, I think that's why I think that probably be my my number one. But I mean, like, that's the hard part here is that I live in the United States. I've been to Vegas many times. I never saw F one racing in Vegas, but I think just seeing it at nighttime and seeing it like with all the lights in, in Vegas, that'd be freaking sweet as hell. I just want to hear it between the freaking super tall hotels and that echoing. <laughs> It'd be so loud. Oh, my God. I don't want to be in a hotel room, although I don't know that anyone's going to be allowed to be anywhere on the sidewalk or the streets. I, I think it'd be kind of cool to be if you're if they don't put up the banners or block the views, but I think it would be, it would be kind of cool to be elevated out of the looking out of one of the hotel rooms and seeing the race. I think that'd be fucking sweet as hell. If up. I had the 20 grand to spend that for the tickets I was looking for for a decent seat, I would have spent it. I don't, unfortunately. Scott Shower isn't there yet. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> we need a race in Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, do you have any things you want to bring up about Formula One? I would say uh, if you're not into racing, I was never. I'm, I've never been into racing. Um, really, check out Formula One. It's actually not like uh, NASCAR, which kind of goes around in an oval or <laughs> uh, Indianapolis 500. It's not like that. It's actually kind of entertaining, especially like when you listen to like the conversations on the team channels and stuff like that. And yeah, I, I don't know. I just think it's it's a great sport. I never really considered it a sport before, but now that I know more about it, I, I'm I'm not a junkie for it, but I have a much greater appreciation and I do enjoy it. I have struggled to be a junkie for it since Michael Schumacher had his skiing accident, but Verstappen has really relivened the sport for me. And what I would say, along with what you're saying, is man. Part of what makes any of these things real is community. 
And for me, I light up when you talk about CU and you're talking about going from the 10 to the 12 or the 12 to the 12 and these switches and all of the other uh, coach changes. I'm not huge into college football. I'm mediocrely into NFL football, uh, partially because of the politics that Kilpatrick and others just killed it for me. But with that, I do think that when you liven up, I'm like, I want to know more. And for me, that's part of Formula One. I remember watching Race's Mom, if you ever see this. I loved the fact that you always came over qualifying mornings to watch Michael Schumacher qualify with me and then race mornings to watch Michael Schumacher race with me. And if I didn't have shrimp, you brought them over. That was part of the juicy seafood experience was my mom always brought shrimp and we would eat shrimp because it was the only thing that was an international food. Didn't matter which circuit you were at, you could get that. And mom, you made my life so great. All of those times I can never thank you enough. Pray I make you proud enough with the things I do and don't do <laughs> um, that you can appreciate how much I appreciated your involvement in my life and what you did. And uh, you mentioned the Netflix special Schumacher, which I didn't watch immediately. Partially, I think I was afraid to. Broke my heart what happened to him. But I eventually did, and I appreciate you recommending that, amongst other things, uh, including Squid Games. If you haven't seen that episode uh, between Noah and I, I did finally watch Squid Games, which you <laughs> recommended when it was out. And goddamn, Mommy was fantastic. So thank you so much. But with that, uh, with all of these sports, this one's an international one. It involves politics ridiculous amounts of money uh Stupid performance money. Stu it's literally f you money <laughs> it really is it's like ridiculously stupid f you money but once you get to watch it and you get to see what these different tires and choices and strategies and everything else that's involved in what making a great car really means, it's largely aerodynamics are more important than power. Getting there strategically is more important than the, the most powerful engine. Uh, you really get to appreciate life in my eyes. And that is one of the things I love about Formula One is you don't have to win every race. Sometimes it's okay to come in second uh, as long as you get 18 points instead of 20. Old-timey days. 18 points instead of 20s or 16 points instead of 20. That's better than getting no points. And that is one of the things that I really respect about Verstappen that I enjoyed about Michael Schumacher was growing to a point of I don't have to win every race. It's a points game. It's strategy. Don't go for the fastest lap, if that may mean you get no points instead of all but one. All right. I guess next week's stuff. Next week. Uh, what are we drinking next week? Oh, man, you have brought the hammer down. You got two choices. What do you want to do? I thought we are going to flip, right? Is that what you do? Oh, man, we can flip for sure. All right. Heads? Tails? Okay. All right. Which one's heads? Uh, Glenn Fittick will be heads. Glenn Fittick, 18, single mall scotch special release is heads. Ardbeg, bizarre BQ, tails. So heads, black, tails, silver. Silver it is. 
All right, that's a barbecue. Our big bizarre barbecue. All right, so what we're going to do, I know the new season isn't over, so we'll just talk about the whole kit and caboodle of it all. Uh, we'll do the uh, a review of what we do in the shadows. I am excited for that. I need to I need to catch up. I haven't been playing well. So <laughs> this means that uh, anything is fair game from season one to whatever the current episode is. What we do in the shadows, if anyone doesn't know, God forbid. And the movie. If we if we can watch the movie, then we'll throw that. We'll toss that in. Hell too. yeah. We need to watch. We need to rewatch the movie. Because the movie is what really started it all. <laughs> So it's a bunch of vampires that have a TV crew following them around, living through, I will say, even though it's inappropriate, retardism. <laughs> <laughs> These are special adults who have not matured, unlike Verstappen currently is doing, and not making all of the best choices. Uh, man, we made... You got you got a big choice here to make. We need barbecue. We need something here. Lots of opportunities. I I was kind of considering uh, ordering some of that uh, buffalo ribeye and uh, doing a grilling, but I, I really it. I haven't really thought about that one yet. Just screw it and let's do it. I mean, I don't know, like, uh, but we can find like I might be able to find a, a good barbecue place that neither one of us have tried. Either way, it's been a while since we grilled here, and if this is good with barbecue, we make bar better barbecue than really any barbecue place. Either one of us makes better barbecue than any barbecue place I've been to in Colorado. Unless you want to go to Texas that's the, or Missouri. Those are the only two places I've ever I heard, been. I heard ours. like KC has like some good barbecue. Kansas City, Missouri. I never been there. I don't know. I don't even know how long it takes to get there. Uh, well, it's further than. Uh, yeah, I think it took me about twenty hours. Really? And yes, I can't remember the name of the place. It's Arthur Murray, actually. Arthur Murray Barbecue. Presidents have gone there. I got there at opening. There were some Christians that followed me in. I got a giant ass beer, <laughs> and they had the full frosted mug, where the point where it like crystallized at the top and these christians are like this guy whatever and i am telling you is it worth the road trip i don't even know if we can even pull it out this week probably not but it's worth a road trip all right i mean <laughs> god damn it the barbecue is that good all right anyway yeah so we'll we'll figure out the restaurant for that uh, so once again, thank you everybody for watching us. We appreciate all of you who are subscribers to YouTube, uh, Rumble, uh, any one of the podcast platforms. We greatly appreciate you. Also, thank you once again for being super patient with me and getting things out. It's just been a, a rough year for me. So I do apologize about that. We'll get those all out for you. Uh, there'll probably be a major drop coming here real soon with multiple shows. Watch uh, them all. Watch them all. Uh, and uh, once again, thank you very much. And I'll have uh, pass on to you to close it out. All right. Remember, life, life is great. That does not mean that's going to be easy. God damn it. You better work hard. And I, I, I like to think that you will work hard, but you'll reap the rewards. But God damn it. You better work hard. The days you go to bed exhausted will be repaid in the future with the days you don't. Be smart while you're doing any of that. Uh, 
And I struggle with this too. Like, don't just blow your money on stupid crap. <laughs> stupid chocolate bars is what we're going to start calling S-H-I-T. Chocolate bars. Don't blow your money on stupid chocolate bars. Make sure you get the most out of your money. Life is great. Uh, you know what's also real? Depression. Well, depression is super real. If you get there, get help. Find friends. Seek help. It's don't be ashamed of that. That's real. If you don't have friends, get it elsewhere because life as great as this, it's going to be hard and there is an ebb and a flow and all of your highs will be met by lows unless you're on drugs. <laughs> that is a fact. So with that, myself included, I have highs, I have lows. Uh, my kids bring me the utmost joy and their honesty sometimes brings me real pain. And with that, I have to take that all with a grain of salt. And I use Noah as one of my main resources. I still use Marissa to this day as a resource to be like, hey, uh, this chocolate bar just happened. <laughs> How do, like, really, where am I at? And uh, I can say, you know, I'm grateful for both of them, Noah, Marissa, but, you know, they both give me great advice. Find that. And then also remember, man, it's okay to have one beer. Don't have six and regret it the next day. But if you need one beer to chill with a friend, freaking chocolate bar, do it. Enjoy your day. Life is great. And until this next episode, watch some sports. Remember, competition is also important. Competition is life. Politics, we don't want it. That's life. Uh, and until this next episode where we figure out some barbecue and I, barring no container, am stoked about the Ardbeg Bizarbecue. Ah. Uh, Till next time, let's remember. Scotchman! Cheers. We hope you enjoyed this evening's episode of Scotch Hour. If you did, please like, share, and subscribe. Also, if you have not done so already, please become a Patreon member with memberships starting as low as $1 a month. Thank you, and hopefully you have a wonderful evening.